0: You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Our next guest is the co-founder, co-host and senior producer of the Africa Business of Sport podcast, he is also a director at the Africa Sport Business Group and a strategic advisor at the Golden City Football Club in Johannesburg, South Africa. Edom Spio is passionate about the business of sports, the global sports recruitment industry and women's sports, particularly Africa women's football. Today we sit down with Edom and talk about all this and more. Edom, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Lorraine. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. I've listened to a couple of the episodes and I've always wanted to be here. So I'm really excited to share my my points and get to learn from you as well.
0: Thank you so much for honouring us by being a guest on the podcast. Before we begin, we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that?
1: Yes, please.
0: What's your favourite quote, expression, or motto, and why is it your favorite?
1: In two thousand and seven or eight, I believe, I watched a movie called Meet the Robinsons, and there was a young kid who was so smart and always trying to be very innovative with the things that he was doing. And any time I watched the movie, I could relate to him so much because at that stage. I was in school, also very geeky, trying to follow the the science route. And there was this phrase he always said, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And it really stuck with me. So at every point in time where I may feel slow with something or I may feel demotivated, that phrase comes to me, keep moving forward.
0: Fantastic. But right now, I'm going to ask you to... Look backwards a little bit uh, for us and take us right back to the beginning when you first got involved with sports. When was the first time you sort of fell in love with sports?
1: I think I was probably 2001 2 so I was five six and I watched the first one DSTV. So here in Africa we have DSTV, um, which a lot of people also know our super sports. I was very young at that time. I'd watched a Manu Chelsea game, I think. I saw schools and a couple of top players in there. And at that moment, I just fell in love with the game. Luckily for me, I grew up in a privileged household where I went to very good schools, where we did a lot of sports. I played football. I played basketball. I did a bit of athletics. I did swimming as well. I played tennis. And the more I did these sports, the more I also got to watch them on TV. So I remember growing up, I had good memories watching Tiger Woods, good memories watching Roger Federer, good memories watching Serena Williams, Wayne Rooney, all the top sports stars. And for me, when I'm interacting with something I'm passionate about, it only keeps growing. So it grew and got to a point where I realized I told myself, I want to be a part of this industry. However, I knew very early on that I couldn't become an athlete because of the demographic I found myself in. In the past, and even till now, a lot of African parents are not necessarily in acceptance of the fact that their kids want to go pro. So I told myself I will find a way to be a part of the industry some way, somehow. Fast forward to 2021, I had the opportunity to pursue my master's in international sports management and since then it's been growing in the industry so that's where it's been for me the beginning point and what linked everything together.
0: Yeah and so far just two questions into the podcast there's a common thread of TV representation being able to see like um, all the possibilities on on TV that that has a lot of power over over someone, right? Because you mentioned your favourite quote is from, a, is from a film and now watching DSTV and uh, Supersport, being able to see the possibilities is such an amazing thing.
1: 100%. For us here in Africa, for people my age and a bit older, we grew up with the television because that's where we got a lot of the westernized culture from. And for a few of us who also had the ability to travel and see other places, we enjoyed more TV from a totally different point of view, which also increased our understanding and appreciation of culture. And at that time, you know, sports was growing in a way where so many people were engaging with with it authentically and when you're when you're blessed enough to have parents who see that value in letting you do sports and watch sports it opens a pathway to a love a passion and obsession i always tell people that when it comes to sports i'm obsessively addicted and that's because i got it very early on from the tv from my friends from the school so representation was very key for me
0: and you, you mentioned that you, in 2021, you got an opportunity to go pursue your master's in international sports management, was it? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, was that where now your journey in the sports industry started? And what was that like? And where are you now in the sports industry?
1: 100%. I realized that since I couldn't go pro, I needed to make sure that when I start the journey or when I think I've started the journey, I'll be fit to work in any organization. And my points too will be very valid because I didn't just want to go the normal route with a lot of people where they'd rather go in from the experience point of view. I wanted to actually have certification and have the good knowledge. So in 2021, I pursued a master's in international sports management at UCFB GIS, University Campus of Football Business, Global Institute of Sports. I finished a year after in August, graduated in December. And since that time, all the knowledge, all the ideas that I've got has influenced the things that I'm part of, the organizations that I'm affiliated with, like Golden City Football Club, where I'm a strategic advisor, the podcast where I'm a co-host, senior producer, and co-founder for Young African Leaders in Sports, where I play the role of the public relations officer for the group, Africa Sports Business Group, where myself and my co-host, Jabu, are directors. All of these things have made sense and have been very easy for me to pursue because of the certification that I got, the knowledge to it, because of the knowledge now, my love for research and writing has even increased more. I don't just do my research papers. I also have my newsletter on LinkedIn. And it's it's made me a bit more well-informed and like an expert in a field, especially here in Africa, where a lot of people just do not know about. So when you get that knowledge, it shows you clearly where the loopholes are and to be able to feel it as compared to not having that knowledge, but having to fill the loopholes at a much longer and more tedious point of view. So really and truly for anybody who's listening, whatever you want to do, education is key to it. It just opens your mind.
0: And you mentioned a few different things and I mentioned them as well at the beginning of the podcast about you being a director or at the Africa Sports Business Group. And you mentioned the podcast, we mentioned Golders City Football Club and now with the education as well element. You wear so many different hats. Um, Have you noticed any commonalities or patterns within the sports industry Let's, we can start from the African perspective or the global perspective. It's up to you, really. What commonalities or patterns or insights have you noticed that you think are worth sharing?
1: I have realized that, um, so I'll take it first from Africa and then globally. From Africa, we are trying our very best now to somewhat match what we see with the excellence and performance of the global sports industry. However, we are using more of the older or a bit more outdated tactics where it's heavy dependence on the on-pitch success to influence the off-pitch success. However, when you look at the global sports industry and how things, in my opinion, should be, there's a greater appreciation, promotion and investment into the business of sports, off the pitch or off the court, which is directly influencing the success on the court. People are realizing that if you don't make the right investments, and let's take women's football because that's something I'm very passionate about. If you don't invest into the right structures, the right facilities, infrastructure, the right staff, the right education for the people who will come to be a part of it. There is no way the women will be very successful on the pitch for it to affect it the other way around. A typical example is the women's Euros, which we saw um, last year in England and how the lionesses won. They won because investment had been put into the game prior to that tournament, and we could see it directly being reflected. So... There's only going to be a greater increase in sports business, and one glue that makes that a reality is the different conferences and summits that we see. We've seen the summit in Athens, we've seen with Soccerex, we've seen with World Football Summit, we've seen here in Ghana one called Afro Sports. So there are different entities coming up with increased sports business conversations that is starting to change. The point of view of people to realise that hey, we need to be a, a bit more appreciative of partnership, of fund engagement, of sponsorship because these things will bring in the right structures and when they bring in the right structures, we can expect success on the pitch. That's how I see the African and the global sports industry.
0: Thank you so much for that and, and you're so right and this is a conversation that comes up even within Europe like when it comes to women's football, because with the Euros, that is the typical example of the best case scenario, right? But how many clubs or women's clubs can actually say that they sort of experience even a fraction of that success or a fraction of that investment, organisation, structure, and just support, right? So it's something that does need to be carried throughout the entire football in a women's football industry because one club can be right at the top and then the next club is right at the bottom and the difference in between is is huge and so I think that's something that um, yeah I've definitely seen as well that maybe is mirrored throughout the, the entire world and um, of course now we're talking about things that we've noticed that can be improved but I think it's also always good practice to look at the things that are going right because it builds up that momentum and that excitement and keeps us passionate about the industry right because otherwise there's no reason to be involved because it's just miserable what developments or changes have you seen specifically within women's football in Africa um, that have made you excited about the future of women's football but you can also extend this question to women's sports in general and what exciting things you've seen that that make you really um, optimistic about the future?
1: One um, example I'll make mention of first, so I'll look at women's football in Africa, then I'll look at women's sports globally. So after the women's AFCON last year, this year, early on in the year, I think after I'd written my Um, research paper on the sponsorship potential of African women's football, I'd seen that TAP had come out with a docuseries to cover some of the stars that played at the women's AFCON, right, to really get their perspective and also to build up for the upcoming FIFA Women's World Cup. Now, that is very huge, not just for the current um, building of hype, but for legacy and for long-term benefit because a couple of years down the line, young boys and girls would go and watch those documentary to see how it was for the pioneers of the time, which are the ladies playing today. So that fixed the box for me for representation, and it's been a very long time since I saw that because we have top female stars here, but the representation is nothing close to what we see abroad globally and with the same point of view of the of the docu season representation we're seeing more ads we're seeing more articles we're seeing more documentaries we're seeing more videos in fact the interaction with seeing which is our eyes of these superstars which are females in sports is increasing because people are realizing they can become household games. We can use them to tackle certain vices in sports. We can use them to push the agenda that we need greater representation. One of the, um, uh, uh, the initiatives I saw, which is particularly very proud okay. about, and there's this Leon female player who was pregnant and she went on a ma- ma- maternity leave. And while she was on leave to get pregnant, she wasn't being paid but through the aid of the union 5th pro and other activations the campaign went through and she eventually got her money's worth and policies were fixed to re- represent the current situation so for such an example what it showed me is that people are starting to listen and we just need to keep hitting the gong very well and at the right pace with the right mentality because if the mentality is not right we will not we will not see it happening very well. Two days ago, I read that BBC and ITV have finally broken a deal with FIFA for the Women's World Cup. That is very huge as well, because if you don't show us the ladies playing there after we've enjoyed the women's Euros, what's the essence of all the investments into women's sports? So seeing these things just tells me that at a point in time, Women's sports is going to reach that peak that men's sports has reached and is going to compete. We're going to start seeing huge numbers for both the women's game as compared to the men's game. And it's only going to bring more investments. It's going to, only going to bring more increase in infrastructure, maybe women specific stadia that will fit for women and family. You know, such initiatives will come out for more conversations and it's just really exciting to see what's ahead of us.
0: That's so. It's so great to, to listen to you talking about this. And as you were talking, I just sort of this idea of the importance of visibility on TV, because that's how we actually started our Women in Sports Beyond the Hashtag community, um, which, which I run here, Data Talks. And we were focusing on that visibility element. And if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? And it's, if you can't see it around you, then the next best thing is to see it on TV, right? Because if you're not, we're all not surrounded by uh, football, uh, like athletes and people that are involved in sports at the highest level, right? And so the next best thing is to see that clearly on TV and not just once in a while, but rather consistently seeing it. Because when you consistently see women playing on TV, women being pandits, women commentating, just women taking the leadership as well within the sports industry, then it becomes a norm. It tells you that it's possible to do that versus when you don't see that. And then you're having to, one, you don't really believe that it's possible. So you're having an internal battle to start with. And then two, you have the external battle of all these policies that you're talking about that are not in place and that you then have to sort of bring forward right because when you talk about ringing the gong it's like sometimes that takes so much effort and if you're constantly you don't see that you don't have any access no one is visible you're having to advocate all the time it can be such taxing work for just one person and it's deeply emotional deeply draining mentally and so completely echo what you just said about the power of Representation and visibility. I mean, I could talk about this forever, Eden, because this is how we started our initiative. We were focusing on this very issue because you don't see enough women, you don't see enough yeah. representation.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you followed the past UEFA exco campaigns that Lise Clavines was doing, but we brought her onto the podcast and she spoke about what her motivation was for um, campaigning to be an ex-co member. And she said something very powerful. She said she doesn't want to compete against a woman for the women's position, which is one out of, I believe, 10. She wants to compete for the other positions available to show to the young girls and boys out there that we can have increased women influence to bring about change for women. Because who else to be... The head of change for women, if not a woman, a man may not understand the certain things that contribute to genuinely bringing change for a woman. But when you see greater representation there, not just for the women's quota, but in general, it really shifts that mindset. and I remember when she came on the port, we were very supportive of her. Unfortunately, she couldn't win the first time, but we were very confident on the second chance people will start to say, hey, UEFA, you are saying you support women's football. Let it show in your ex-co-member. And that can be really that you know ripple effect for us to get to a point. I was telling another lady we brought on the podcast that I'm looking forward to the day a woman becomes the head of UEFA, a woman becomes the head of the IOC, a woman becomes the head of FIFA, the head of CAF. When we start to see these things, it becomes a norm to us. And there's no way that the negative people in the sport can say harmful things to the women to affect them because we are directly seeing them in these right positions.
0: Fantastic. Another area you're passionate about is the global sports recruitment industry. Uh, You believe that if sports transcends barriers, then anyone in sports should be able to work anywhere in the world. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about this?
1: Yes, please. Um, I'm always saying that big sporting organisations boast that they are global entities with fans across the world. Some of these fans actually are so passionate that they would want to have the opportunity to work with you and be closer to you. Because, of course, that which you're passionate about, you want to invest more time in, not just even enjoying, but being a part of the growth for that passion. I've seen a huge demographic um, problem where a lot of people across board do not have opportunities to be a part of such organizations that they are passionate about because of the barriers in place, the physical barriers and the policy barriers in place. Now I ask myself, we live in a global world. It's quite easy for people abroad to come and find jobs here. Let me use Africa in particular because You and I can relate to the situation. It's easy for people abroad to come and get jobs here because, for us here, we look at competency to an extent and experience. However, it's very tough for an African, wherever you come from, to get jobs abroad because you know there's so many issues. I don't want to go deeply into, but this affects us. And I'm always saying that if it comes to sports, there should be policies that protect people. If you're going to allow an athlete. To go and play in a country different from beers in a sport that they love. Also allow a person who'd love to work in that industry to move around and be a part of it. If it's a sports work visa, if it's a, a work visa where an individual can apply for prior to applying for jobs, open it up because that is the only way you can have diversity and inclusion genuinely within these organizations. You can't tell me you want to come and do an activation in my country and you don't have a lot of people from my country working for you. Where are you going to get your ideas from? How are you going to know the right things to do and say and implement, right? So it's extremely important for such unnecessary barriers which really prevent people from coming to be a part of these sports clubs and organizations to be taken away and for them to realize that, Let's look at the individual situations. Number one, are they competent? Number two, do they have experience? Number three is the passion there? And number four, what is their motivation for coming? If all of these things hit the nail on the head, let it be very easy for them to apply for a work visa, get this and come in, right? So if you boast that you're a global entity, employ people from those places to genuinely show that, of course, you are global. You have people from Pakistan, people from Angola, people from China, people from wherever you have in the world working for you, not necessarily because they have family or they've grown up there, but you've given them the opportunity to come and work with you.
0: And that reminds me that there's a a campaign that's active right now in the UK, actually, and it's led by the international student um, sort of community community, the fact that uh, and you you did your masters in the uk i did my undergrad in the uk actually and um at the time now it's different but at the time when i did my undergrad you only had four months to sort of get a job and then four if months. you don't four months yeah yes um and as well at the time it was nearly impossible because this was the time of Theresa may where the immigration laws were really tough because they were really just cracking down on immigration. So they were not looking for anyone really outside of the EU to, to stay in the UK. To pour in all that money into your studies and then have to leave straight away, it's, it was very traumatic, but now they've changed it to you get two years to find a job. But according to this movement, and the, I think they're trying to lobby the government because what you're saying, what you're talking about, it it is quite complicated in the sense that I talk to people from different um, organizations within sports, right? And these are huge organizations, and their hands are tied in a certain to a certain extent because what immigration laws say, and then going about practically sponsoring visas it becomes such a long tedious process that it unless they already know you and they're not looking for you to prove yourself it then that they don't have that impetus or that sort of push to sponsor someone you know so it is quite a complicated issue for on the size of this on the side of the sports clubs because it becomes a government issue where we have to really lobby and all that and I guess it shows the intricacy of of the sports industry that is dependent on other industries as well and other... Because when you think about the media, right? It's like sports and then having to work with the media. When you think about sponsorships and and jobs and branding, it's like now sports having the sports industry working with retail, with entertainment and all these other places. So it is quite intricately woven, but I completely understand where where you're coming from and maybe that's it ties in with your idea of trying to create a unified world for greater sports using um, youth sports ambassadors and diplomats which is something that we spoke about briefly before starting this recording but what would this look like in practice for you?
1: What I am thinking about is the love of young people between the ages let me just pick an age range that will make sense so between the ages of say 13 to 35 these young people would love to be some form of organization that enables them to interact with fellow young people from other countries also passionate about sports we've seen that there are too many barriers right now existing deeply in sports which affects the game so and it, it leads to things like racism it leads to things like homophobia and whatnot because we young people we're not connecting with people our age in other countries to share their cultures, to share their way of life, to understand them. Sports, however, has the power to do it, but I feel like we don't activate it enough and only becomes relevant during, you know, competitions like the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics where you see people from other parts of the world coming together. I know there's something called the FIFA Fan Movement and I know there's something called the IOC Young Leaders Programme, however, We need to see an increased and a much more intentional investment into these things. For example, Lorraine, if they come up with this institution called the Global Sports Diplomats, maybe group or something, and people are allowed to apply for these uh, group positions, in applying for it, maybe at the end of the application process, they get to pick like 50 or 25 Actually, this does even quite small, but this is the beginning. So, 25 to 50 people from each of the countries that have people have applied for take them through the process, let them become diplomats from such an institution. It makes it very easy to tie it into immigration and say there's this organization that travels or will travel around a lot to not only work with their colleagues from other countries but to build synergies with them so they should be given opportunity to apply for work visa or whatever visa it is so that they can come and be a part so i was going to ask you lorraine in order to fix all this lobbying and whatnot what do you think can be the approach that should be used and can be brought in maybe an existing approach or a new approach that can be brought in to change it for me before you answer i'm thinking that if we're going to use sports as an umbrella anybody should be able to apply for a sports diplomacy through that organization and immigration would give it to them because you're coming under sports. So if you're coming under sports, you're going to abide by the rules and regulations of sports. Now, I'm not saying make it so easy for anybody to come and work in your country. What I'm saying, give an opportunity when a person fits the bill. Do you understand? So Mm. how do you think that can be fixed?
0: I mean, 100% I agree with every single thing that you've said and your ideas I think you just answered so brilliantly by giving that example of the that program of you're going through a specific program people have applied globally and then the government or the various governments they're collaborating and they understand that these people are have been through a program and you give them visas all that stuff and I think that's a that's an absolutely brilliant idea And um, I think one of the things, the thing is, like, things are very complicated, yet so simple at the same time, right? Because it sounds very complex, but when you think about it, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is, one, that leadership, right, that this should be done, but two, That support that when people are doing these initiatives there is support but number three we're talking now about collaboration across different areas right I had the privilege of being um, of moderating the European youth and sport platform which was the inaugural event and I remember just being there the whole time and I said it to the room I said here I am from Botswana in Africa listening being a part of this conversation and uh, and then I just said some good things about like diversity and everything but internally as well I was questioning like what are we doing in Africa to sort of and in an organized way right because part of it is that we cannot expect others to do for us what our own governments and our own entities are not doing for us and we need that leadership as well that People that are completely invested in this because when I was watching how everything was organized with the European Youth and Sport platform it was just so much collaboration so much giving so much youth voices first so much just they're just so collaborative that um, actually the European Youth Forum recently submitted a motion to the um, uh, European Parliament for the banning of unpaid internships right and so it's like everything is so organized and intricately woven that there is change actually happening and so for me I'm like one in in I don't know if it's fair to say Africa because like they're different regions, right? So the southern uh, Southern Africa is very different from West Africa where you're from. But maybe even just going down to regions and having better representation at a regional level, where Southern Africa like they band together and we create programs and they run smoothly. And then we extend it over to all of Africa, where we have an African program. And then that program is working closely with other counterparts. So the European, the North American, South American, globally, right? And so I think there's just so many things. And then you think about communication, information, um, technology, digital. It's not the same level in Africa as it is in Europe, which then means that things exist. But people from a background like yours, um, Edem, are the ones that end up finding out about it. Because I actually, I didn't have DSTV growing up. I did not have, I did not go to private school. I'm, I'm trying now to learn how to swim. I went to public school, you know, so I didn't have sort of a, a, a third of the resources that you grew up with. So then it means that if in today's in today's society if we go back now to being children and you in your background and me in my background you would find out about all these programs and I wouldn't you know so it's like just so layered that I think that it firstly it starts at home and we are having this conversation which is great because now we're inspiring each other and sparing each other on and we've been exposed through tv but also through access to Countries like the UK and here in Europe, access to the European youth and sport platform to then kind of take ideas that we can bring back home.
1: 100%, Lorraine. And I think here, what we need to see more of is young people being given the opportunity to actually lead and bring these innovations home because a lot of the young people I talk to across the countries on the continent tell me that they're just not given the opportunity and even Jabo and I we discuss among ourselves often that we've seen different platforms where they're trying to create conversations about the things that Jabo and I talk about almost every time on the podcast but to the people in charge on the continent we are quote-unquote small boys and we don't quote-unquote know what we're saying and we quote-unquote aren't experts so, they wouldn't want to bring us to be a part of these conversations. However, in a different scenario where Chabo and I perhaps maybe grew up somewhere in Europe or in America, with what we've done in the short period of time and at the consistency that we are doing it, we will be the ones collaborating with the people out there to bring more young people on board, right? The main motivation when we started the podcast was to educate young people on the importance of A, understanding why sports business is crucial and B, investing in it in some way. Now I know that I paid a lot of money to do my masters, not a lot of young Africans will be able to do that, however we can still educate them using this platform. So some people have reached out and said since I started listening to the pod, my appreciation and understanding of sports business has increased so that alone is us doing a bit of mentoring and coaching indirectly and when you have more young people holding their hands together and bringing their counterparts up it makes it very easy as you mentioned with the collaboration that you saw at the event that you went for so that needs to happen we need to see more young people being put in these positions to work because if you don't have them working it just won't happen we have the competency here We're just not given the platform to be competent
0: enough. Edem, as we close off this podcast, can you just reflect on one or two things that have brought you a lot of joy with working in the sports industry?
1: For me, I always say I don't call it work. I call it an obsession. So every morning I wake up and I get to think about the podcast. I get to think about ideas to grow the podcast to grow the other initiatives I'm part of, they just flow so easily, effortlessly, which is a blessing of mine. And I don't take it for granted at all. So although I'm not in those big spaces yet, the fact that I love what I'm doing and I enjoy it so much and I don't see it as work, it motivates me to want to do it over and over and over again. So people may say that, you know, it's about monotony within the space you're in. But I'm saying that it has nothing to do with monotony, but has everything to do with you seeing a different perspective on a different day. You know, a lot of people find themselves in spaces where they don't love the jobs that they're doing. But I totally love it and I haven't reached anywhere yet. So imagine me having the opportunity to work at places like Liverpool or Nike or Adidas. I'll start to even create more for me I create more when I love more that's how it is so that's the approach I used to my work in, in this industry and like I'm always saying exciting times
0: ahead yeah and and if anyone wants to collaborate or wants to get started within the sports industry or just wants to like what 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 do you say to someone that's listening to your to to this episode right now what what advice or what final words would you kind of give them? What what comes to your mind right now when I say this question?
1: What comes to mind is the word absorption. If you are in this industry and, number one, you are yet to put your foot in through education or whatnot, listen to episodes on the Data Talks platform, on the Africa Business of Sport platform, In fact, absorb more sports business-based content out there. There are a lot of them on podcasts, a lot of them on YouTube. It's all for free. Absorb these. Get a good understanding and then go in there and get certification of some sort, whether it's your undergrad or your postgraduate. Once you have the knowledge, it makes you powerful in any space because people know that you know what you're about and you're not just coming up with ideas which may seem you're not too powerful. So Keep absorbing more. Let your absorption rate go up. Be like a sponge. Take in more. Don't take in less. And have the conversations with the people. Love those things you're listening to transform your mentality and your thinking. If you're not being transformed by what you're listening to, then you're not growing at all. So I think the word is absorption and be like a sponge. Take in more. Learn more. Share those ideas. And continue to be great in this space.
0: Thank you so much, Edem, for coming on to our podcast. We will provide all the links to Edem's work and any relevant material in the description box. So please make sure that you connect with Edem on LinkedIn and all the other platforms. Edem, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, Lorraine. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Perhaps I look forward to a part two when we've grown into a certain space and coming back to reflect on this conversation.
0: I love it. I'm looking forward to that as well. If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales, and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.se and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.